Welcome back to Legendary Mindset. This is your host, Jake P. Richardson. So today's episode is with Clint Cummings. We actually recorded this over the summertime and um, just now finally getting it posted, but it was really fun to sit down with Clint. I've been trying to record an episode of him for quite a while. He was, he was definitely one of the original guys that I wanted to sit down and talk to. And if you listen to, to all uh, of my episodes, you'll kind of notice he gets brought up uh, every once in a while and, and referenced a lot. Uh, a guy who's judged a lot of those big shows, um, maybe not in the last few years, but in his day, did all of them at least once or twice, and was definitely legendary for, for the moves that he made in the ring. Um, so without further ado, here is Clint Cummings. Growing up, we had like 40 Souths, really? and then we had like 70 U's, but um, when my boys started showing, uh, we kind of got back into pigs. Mm-hmm. I mean, nothing at a high level. We showed at uh, our county fair and then Arizona National and Cowpals and a few jackpots, but yeah. uh, we like the pigs, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So it's fun. Hell yeah. Sure Probably you. my biggest deal about the pigs is they change it to showing at a whip, you know what I mean? What did they, what they used to show with? A cane. Really? Yeah, we showed with a cane. So now the nice thing about the whip is, is um, if I have a bad day at work, <laughs> and as long as we're not showing a white hog or you know one with a white face, you, you can, can take a Duroc or a black-headed one, or and uh, I don't got to kick the dog anymore. I don't have to yell and scream <laughs> at the kids and the wife. I just pick up a whip and a cold beverage and Go walk some take them for a walk, <laughs> and I'm actually uh, accomplishing something. Keep the head up. <laughs> For sure. My kids get on me because they want two whips, but I told them, uh, I said, you know, I still got to have a cold beverage. <laughs> Not going to work. So you mentioned you had sows growing up. Did, were you guys, you know, growing up, was there always livestock around, or was that something introduced maybe later on through childhood? So ever since I can remember, you know, my father was an ag teacher, and my mother was the 4-H leader. So I grew up in Paso Robles, California, and on a 20-acre small farm, and my dad taught ag at uh, Templeton and then Shandon. And um, make a long story short, and, and I, I don't remember at four years old, remember buying the first red sows in 1975, but uh, my father was an ag teacher at um, Timberland High School, and uh, there was an old man, I shouldn't say old at the time, but Bob Delaire was a, um, a very competitive uh, father who had a son named Sean Delaire. Mm-hmm. And Sean was a freshman in high school, and my father didn't know really anything about the Delaire family. And um, Sean, I guess, won his class as a freshman. And, you know, typical, you know, you're an ag teacher and then, you know, the parents are involved in the day of the show. Like, I want my kid to do better, right? But 99% of them don't ever say that again until the following year at the fair and don't put in the time or the effort or the energy or the money. And uh, my father tells a story that Sunday evening, he got home from the fair, you know, being an ag teacher, and he got a call from Bob Delaire and said, hey, I got the, the van, the trailer, and we're going to leave Wednesday. And um, he had asked my dad previously, um, where's the best hogs in the country? And he said, uh, Forkner Farms. And uh, so I, they went to Everett Forkner's and I think came back with a boar and three open gilts, a couple bread gilts, and... Uh, the story goes, but you know, as things evolve over time, the story always gets better. Yeah. But uh, supposedly, the following year, they won every class at the county fair. Really? You know what I mean? So, so uh, what, what were show pigs like at that point? Was it was it a thing, or was it pretty slim pickings for the ones so that would win? it's funny you say that. I don't even remember calling them show pigs. Really? The first that we called them project animals, right? Mm-hmm. So project pigs. The first time I think I'd ever heard the word club used out of a text of like the 4-H club, mm-hmm. right? Or the Boy Scout club was um, Leonard Bianchi named a Ram club because uh, I think that had been like in the mid, mid to late 80s mm-hmm. when probably Oklahoma and Texas really started to evolve into this whole show pig club pig, club um, lamb, club calf deal, you know what I mean? So they were at, you know, me growing up, we were more into showing breeding stock 
and um, going to you know national sales and then also going to like range ram sales mm -hmm. and then we would take our pigs that we had raised to like the um, national western regional show um, so market animals were important but we we normally sold market animals as a group basis to other 4-h clubs or fa mm -hmm. leaders and we really didn't like I mean, there were some better than others, but uh, the whole, there was way not the emphasis yeah. on the whole show. I mean, people were competitive, don't get me wrong, but um, yeah, it has changed immensely. Yeah, and it seems like when you talk to people who, who were showing livestock back in, in, you know, the 80s and 90s, like you said, it was, a lot of it was breeding stock. Even with the sheep, it was, you know, most people drug frame sheep around and went to all the open shows. How did, when did that change, you think, and, and how did it happen? Um, you know, I was kind of young. I was born in 71, so, uh, so like my father left, left ag, I think in 76, 77, and was hired by a lady to, uh, um, be a, a shepherd at a, at a high level, um, Suffolk sheep deal. And she ran about three or 400 ewes, Suffolk ewes. And that was kind of in the height of the, um, Hampshire, you know, blackface breeds, mm -hmm. and the Suffolks are really coming on. And uh, I don't know, you know, s somehow they wanted to start taller at the shoulder, mm -hmm. taller at the shoulder. All of a sudden, you remember who had the coolest thing to measure at the top of the shoulder, right? And uh, they'd measure all of them. You know, it's kind of looking back. I don't think they ever measured length of body, which actually, you know, I think length of body is probably more important than being taller than the shoulder or yeah. length of hind saddle. But so I think what happened was is um, these people started pushing for this taller animal, and then the money started coming in, and they pushed and pushed and bred so hard that they created the spider gene, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden, those black-faced bucks no longer really seemed like they could raise a market lamb that would fit into the project lamb within those given weights. And maybe the given weights were, I don't know, 100 to 140 pounds back then or 100 to 125, you know. But so they, they kind of lost... Practicality. They kind of lost what the, you know, blackface bucks are known as terminal sires, and they just started breeding them frame, 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 and I guess they kind of took the muscle out of them and... So what happened to us is, is we thought we had kind of sheep that we could raise range bucks and still raise, you know, bucks to Sedalia or, you know, Cow Palace or Reno. Uh, normally Purple Circle was our big deal, but um, we bought a ram and made a mistake and started having spiders. And then so back then, you know, when it really came out relevant and we didn't, they didn't, they didn't have a test for them. So it was like, well, if you've got a buck out of this one, you know, I mean, you're it. bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it wasn't even like you had a 50-50 chance or 25-50-25, right? Mm -hmm. So we just decided, well, we just get into raising market lamps, you know? And then I got into, I went to Oklahoma State, and then all of a sudden it opened up a whole, I'd never seen nothing like it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we had heard of uh, cabinets yeah. when I was in my late teens but we called them cabanas because we didn't even know that it was you know cavernous and then they would call bianchi mm -hmm. you know they would instead of calling bianchi they call called bianchi. them bianchi you know <laughs> so it's kind of funny you know what i mean so you very involved with you know raising hogs and, and, and attending livestock shows and you guys said you traveled quite a bit um so that, was that basically your whole family's activity, or were you guys involved in sports and other stuff, or was it just you know livestock family oh, day I, in and day out? I was lucky. So my father was, uh, like I said, for I believe it was five to five years, he was a shepherd um, for Allison Keith, and then um, my wife, my mother worked at the, uh, she worked at the local hospital, but I was lucky. Um, my parents, um, you know, we we showed a lot, you know, and that was part of my dad's job and. My mom uh, raised uh, really good quarter horses and Australian shepherd dogs, and then, um, but they promoted sports. So I, I was lucky that, um, you know, my family took the time, and I don't ever remember a time where my parents weren't in the stands. So yeah. 
That's important. Soccer to um, t-ball to baseball, um, basketball. Uh, my mom let me play uh, Pop Warner football in eighth grade mm-hmm. instead of making me wait till I was a freshman. You know, so yeah, I, I, I played a lot. Of, I mean, I played a lot of sports. Yeah. Do you have siblings or are you only child? Yeah. So I have a younger sister, um, four years younger than me, Jody um, Cummings, and then. Um, my father got remarried, and then I have a, a, a stepsister, um, Jackie Kuhn was her maiden name, and Jackie Hildebrand now, and then uh, or Jackie Eshby, and then um, Johnny Kuhn mm-hmm. is uh, my stepbrother. So one, and then I have uh, two stepbrothers and sisters with lots of nieces and nephews and mm-hmm. relatives. That's good. Did they all show and everything, all your, your stepbrothers? Yeah, and- so um, you might know, like the Hildebrands, mm-hmm. Nolan Hildebrand oh, yeah. and Lily and Kayla. So... Those are um, my nieces and nephews. And then um, Julia and Alex showed, mm-hmm. um, Arnyak. So, uh, yeah, them and Papa Bob and Grandma Joe spent a lot of time on the road and showing and, and was highly successful at it. Yeah, you know? for sure. They did really good. Definitely. Um, and I've really I've thought about it before, but if you, if you map out your whole family, there's, there's a lot of people in the sheep world at least in California and the South Coast that are related to you guys or maybe, yeah. maybe show up for Christmas or so, like uh, Yeah, so like um, I can remember Jamie Farrow coming to our house or seeing him at um, major shows around the country and, and Jamie was winning at a high level back then. Mm-hmm. I mean, people don't realize that, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s, I mean... So here's a funny story, and, and Jamie Farrow was my brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1982, he sh- he sells or sells a U, Miss Nugget, reserve re- at Reno for thirty-six thousand. Um, Allison wow. Keith raises a U called Adelaide, and never showed her and wanted to keep her. And there was actually a big-time national Western Suffolk show in Paso Robles. Mm-hmm. Raleigh Rosenboom was the judge, and, and, and if you ever heard of Raleigh Rosenboom, like in the 1980s, you know, walking tall, and I mean, he, he set the standard for the Suffolk sheep, you know. I don't know if it, I, I don't know actually, but like, it was always said that Raleigh sold 300 rams at a walking tall for 10,000 bucks. Wow. So if you do the numbers, that's $3 million. Yeah. So. He was on top of the world. You know, they, they talk about a million-dollar semen sire, which is unbelievable, right? Mm-hmm. But Walking Tall still generated $3 million, you yeah. know what I mean? So uh, Probably just breeding used naturally. Too. Naturally, sold 300 bucks. But So make a long story short, Raleigh went to, I'll never forget, sitting in the, you know, and, and I was I was 11 years old. You know, and Raleigh Rosenboom, oh, my God, you know what I mean? And I'm sitting in the backdrop, and Raleigh Rosenboom, um, he was the judge. He made her champion. Leans over to Allison Keith and says, I'll give you $20,000. And she didn't take it. But then she had to sell out, and Hegemeyer um, bought the flock. Just to make a long story short, Miss Nugget, sold and shown by Jamie Farrow, brought 36000 at Reno. She's the national champion in 1982. And Adelaide, a U that my dad raised for Allison Keith, she was a reserve national champion at Louisville in 1982. So, yes, I, I mean, my dad's big in the sheep. My brother-in-law, Jamie Farrow, and the Farrows, and my wife, um, you know, you got the Hildebrands, Nolan. Nolan's, you know, coaching at Connors Junior very, very, College. Yeah, very successful. My, uh, my, our oldest boy, Connor, um, he's now just got the job at uh, Miami mm-hmm. and NEO. And I'm trying to think of all the other. So, yeah, I mean, it's funny how sheep has just. So, so there will be the third family. generation sheep people, you know what yeah, I mean? That's awesome. So, it's, yeah, it's cool. So, did you judge in 4-H and FFA growing up? Or was that just in college? And yeah, on? so um, I'm trying to remember, you know, I was in Shannon 4-H and, you know, like Kevin Potter and Chris Potter. And I don't actually remember us actually having like a 4-H team where they do today where I didn't I don't even know if we knew there was a state 4-H contest. Right. But back then, you know, a lot of there was so many different like shows sales, livestock expositions, that they thought that livestock judging was important. Mm-hmm. So we would just sign up as an individual, like at the county fair or these different shows. So we never really had like an organized team or a, 
I mean, I guess we had a coach, but I don't remember really giving no, reasons like in 4-H. Yeah. No, I mean, it's so much more advanced. Yeah. But, like, it's a funny story. Um, but I, I, I could tell that I liked livestock judging and I wanted to compete in it, you know. Delaire Swine Farm would always have a judging contest at their sale. Um, and then I can remember, like, Carmel and Dave Spalding would do the judging contest through Cal Poly mm-hmm. at the Western um, National Drug Congress. Mm-hmm. And actually, uh, my wife and I, we didn't know each other, but she was FFA and I was 4-H, and we both have the same banner. Really? That's cool. How many years later did you notice it was the same banner? Oh, I had noticed her ever since I was, you know, I probably didn't notice her then, but when I was a freshman in high school, I noticed my wife when she was a senior in high school. Really? But she, she didn't know me, you know. <laughs> Seniors don't look at freshmen, you know what I mean? And, and I'll give her the credit. She's, she's very young for age, so she's really not that much older than I am. Yeah. But, uh, so, yeah, I mean, we got experience to 4-H judging, but then in FFA, I went to Paso Robles High School. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my dad was the ag teacher at Shandon. I did a lot of sports in Shandon, but, um, and, and I, I really enjoyed my high school at Paso Robles because... I wanted to play sports at a higher level, and nothing against Shannon. Great school, small ag, you know. Um, looking back, sometimes I think, you know, more of my ag deal, I should have gone there. Mm-hmm. But I had a great experience. But so in livestock, livestock judging at Paso High School was taken very seriously. So mm-hmm. we actually had an ag skills class. And for, for four years, I took ag skills, and we did livestock judging. Mm-hmm. And um, that's where, you know more of the reasons, um, you know, more of the, my, da- my dad would always coach, but he coached the evaluation of livestock. He didn't coach the game of judging of mm-hmm. four animals, you know Which what I mean? Which is surprisingly kind of different from each other, you know, just the evaluation versus trying to win a judging contest, I guess. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, um, I think looking back, because I got to coach judging teams, I probably, I spent more time trying to teach them to evaluate livestock and I probably wasn't very good at all in terms of the mindset of four animals. Mm-hmm. And hey, you know, if, if there's a thousandth point possible and we collectively average a 930 or 940 each member, we're, you know, we're, we're probably going to win. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so really, if you think about it, and I try to explain that to my boys and, you know, you score a, you score a 940 as a team, probably going to win. You score a 940 individually, you'll probably be in the top 10. You score 950. You're going you're gonna to place almost every time. Yeah. And you think about it, all you got to do is drop 20 off the floor and you can talk a, three, you can talk a 360, 45 average, and still get a 940. Mm-hmm. Talk your way so out. So it's, it. not, it's, not it's, not, it's not something unheard of, but there's not a lot of people that score 940 every time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I try to tell those guys, you know, you need to take more of the, the mental mindset to these young people going, hey, there's only four in a class. It can't be that hard, right? And 99% of the time, a class was put together by a set of officials, and it can be close on top and close on the bottom with a big cut in the middle. Well, if you don't take the big cut in the middle and you only take a two- or three-point cut on each side and you get it right 50% of the time, it's not unheard of to be under 30, you know, off the floor, you know? Sure. But I think a lot of people don't think about that, you know, mm-hmm. which that's a... That's a, that's a challenge in itself because if you're thinking about only dropping a certain amount, but then it's taken away from actually evaluating the class, you know, there's, there's the got to be a happy medium. Yeah, the contest logic is, you know, has to take up most of the brain at that point, and instead of doing what you want, maybe you have to do what you need to do to drop the least amount of points. Yeah. But the, but the biggest thing is, is building self-confidence in those young individuals mm-hmm. and preparing them, and then I, I think, you know, then they'll always be successful. For sure. So when you graduated high school, I mean, you, you said you grew up showing pig shows and, and sheep and sheep shows and stuff. You ended up at Oklahoma State. Um, what were your goals at that point? What did you want to do with your degree? And did you you want to be in the sheep world, or did you want to just judge, or, or or what was your idea with what you were going to do with your life at that point in time? Well, it's kind of a funny story. Can I can I elaborate on how I wound totally. up at OSU? Totally, yeah. Because um, OSU and nothing against the Cowboys wasn't my number one plan really I uh so I judged in high school mm-hmm. and there was a guy named Bill Dale that um, from West Hills College mm-hmm. he came and talked to our group and then John Nicewanger from Odessa Junior College and 
you know, the West Hills College um, program was still good, and Bill Dell was a great coach, and, you know, John Nyswanger was up and coming and doing really good. And really the only reason why my father's kind of said, uh, you know, you should go to Modesto was is it was that much farther from home. Like maybe I'm, I may not come home all the time because mm-hmm. I kind of like to have a good time. So it's probably good that I got away. And um, so they set me up at Leonard Bianchi's living there. And then I went to Modesto Junior College. And uh, really, I think uh, I had a taste in my mouth for livestock judging, but I really liked sports too. But um, when I got to Modesto Junior College under, under John, um, I don't know if it was just being around a team that uh, was competitive or it was even more like being around those dairy guys because they were winning national championships all the time. But, you know, when, you surround, when you're surrounded by people that want to be successful and they kind of have the same passion you do, maybe it's not the same species, um, I kind of just... I liked it, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? I liked it too that uh, I was a freshman, there was sophomores, um, and and Nyswanger had a unique opportunity, a unique way in firing me up, like, oh, we don't need to worry about you freshmen today, the sophomores are judging and you'll get beat, and it's like, no, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We're gonna compete, you yeah. know? So, did, so he do that, I, did he do that on purpose or did Yeah, he... I don't know, he probably did, you know what I mean? But. Um, so we always, we always worked out with Cal Poly and Jim Heyer. And what an awesome coach, you know what I mean? And so we worked out with Cal Poly all the time. And my parents went to Cal Poly. My dad judged at Cal Poly, you know. Um, family, friends growing up all went to Cal Poly. Their mm-hmm. kids were going to Cal Poly. So I just actually, Jim Heyer drove up there and filled out the paperwork and I was going to Cal Poly, right? Mm-hmm. And I had met um, Kyle Schwetfinger and those guys from NEO. And Kyle was, I mean, he won them all. Mm-hmm. Um, the ones that he didn't win, I got lucky, and but it wasn't nothing at the level he did. But there was a mutual respect, and he'd talk, and we'd call, and he wanted me to come to Oklahoma State, and I knew those guys on NEO, and they'd won all the contests, you know, in the fall. And I don't know how it happened, but um, I was headed to Cal Poly, turned in everything, got accepted, and it was probably May or June. Um, budget cuts, last one hired, first one to go, and they let go of the judging team coach. I mean, and and Jim Hire was a, a great up and coming coach. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he 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 judged at Poly, did his masters at Oklahoma State. Got to hang out at the highest level of one of the elite, which, you know, Jacobs was at Poly, so when Hire was there, they were one of the elite ones, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I was just crushed, and Cal Poly really didn't have an answer of who was going to be the coach, and it wound up being Dr. Cliff Stokes, and I mean, what a, what a great livestock mind, you know? But I just decided, I called Kyle of Sweatfinger, and I said, hey, man, let's can I go to OSU? And he's like, yeah. And so we called Dr. Jerry Fitch, mm-hmm. who's from California, Oregon yeah. originally, and went to Cal Poly. And he's like, yeah, we'll make it happen. So I wound up at OSU just last minute. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. So you judge, judge there and stuff. Did you ever get involved with some of those sheep guys around there? Just you oh, know, kill time? Yeah. I, when I went to Oklahoma, it was a whole different level of passion about showing sheep mm-hmm. and breeding because we bred sheep and we bred we raised sheep that were like project lambs mm-hmm. we didn't emphasize like the club lambs and yeah. we didn't even think about showing them at that age right you know they're like yeah we got weathers that are a year of age and we're like well, our weathers died at six months yeah. and they're and their and, and their sisters are having lambs at 12 to 14 yeah. months you know so it was just a whole different science you yeah. know the, the diet the genetics they were they were genetically building these animals, which Just like for in, the show ring. for stocks, which like in Texas, think about it. Um, they can't lamb in the summer and show in spring majors, right? Mm-hmm. And they're a little too young to be born in the fall and show them. So they actually have evolved a lamb that gets bred in the late spring and they show it the following fall because environmental factors are not going to allow it to do it. And you yeah. know, being in Texas, how hot it is. Yeah. And then with um, OYE, you know, being a, a major 
you know, in the spring, that's just the mindset, you know what I mean? So, yeah, so I was so lucky at OSU. Um, I was just a, a naive um, kid that really didn't know. I mean, we didn't have cell phones back then, remember? Didn't have computers. So social media and all that, knowing everybody was way different, you know? So I knew Kyle Schwetfinger, and I knew the guys from NEO. And uh, I drove back there. My family took me back there. I got a house. Um, I want. I, I I took the the fall class, and I went to every unit, and I had the utmost respect for all of them. But there's this guy named Kim Brock, and when he started talking, man, I was listening, and I mean, I just fell in love with that guy, and I. I wanted to work for Kim Brock, but he had already he had already had everything filled up for the swine unit, and he was coaching the judging team because Callahan had um, left in in May of '91 to go to the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association, and so Brock was the intern because they hadn't hired a full-time position. Every week I'd try to go get a job because I wanted to work for Kim Brock, and uh, he took the team to Louisville. It was a Friday afternoon. It was snowing. I guess some kids didn't show up to work or whatever, or some of them were. And Tim Cash, I walked in there, and Tim Cash was like, you want a job? I'm like, yes, sir. And he's like, get to work right now. I'm like, okay. Right? So, you know, I mean, when you're at Oklahoma State, I'd never learned anything about starch. But by the time I was, uh, you know, into my third month at Oklahoma State, you know, you, you show starch up to class pants, and yeah. starch pants, you know. I don't mean th- Maybe they start your underwear. I don't know. But anyways, you're starched up. Some people do. But So Friday afternoon, I'm in the fairway house. Glad to be a job and um, on the burner doing the fairway house. And that's how I got a job. And to answer your question, um, uh, I had met um, Scott Chenold and Carrie Shell mm-hmm. in class. And then I got to meet Kim Brock. And then I got to live at the swine unit. So then one day... Um, Scott Chenold's talking about, hey, man, we're, we're shearing lambs tomorrow. Well, can I come? You know what I mean? I mean, I, I just, yeah, can I come, well. right? Yeah. So I'm shearing sheep, and I meet his dad, George, great guy. And who walks in? Larry Shell. I mean, I'm like, you know, here I am, 20 years old. You know, I, I met Kim Brock, or, you know, so besides my dad, I mean, it's like, Kim Brock has hit me hard. And then you hear all the things about Larry Shell because, I mean, he's doing all the major stock shows at the time. It's like, wow, here comes Larry Shell, you know, and he, inter- you know, and you've been around Larry. I mean, he's his, he's the most, he's a very nice, mm-hmm. and the way he handles himself is the most awesome in terms of um, gentlemanlike and mm-hmm. correct. And, you know, I- I'm not nearly that good. I need to be more like him. But <laughs> So anyways, he came and then he's like, well, hey, we're sharing sheet tomorrow. You want to come? Yeah, what do you charge? I'm just happy I just want to hang here. out with you, Larry. <laughs> I'm just happy to be here, you know what yeah. I mean? So I went to Larry's Shells, and uh, they had this big pin of lambs. And uh, I don't know if he was watching me or whatever. I think Kerry was just trying to get them done. And I'm like, well, I don't know how much I'm getting paid, and I want to share a good one, you know? So I'm kind of, you know, finding the ones. And Larry goes, hey, man, you're... You're picking the, you know, because he was spending more time looking at the lambs I was shearing than Kerry because I think Kerry was just trying to get them done. Yeah, and I was actually, them. you know, so he was handling them. And so my point of the matter is, is I was so lucky that I got a job at OSU on a swine unit and living on a swine unit next to Kimbrock. Mm-hmm. And then this relationship evolves with Larry Shell. And for whatever reason, there's two older gentlemen that are like I mean I get I get a little emotional I think they liked my passion um, they just I don't know they, they liked me and so like Kim Brock would call me and say hey Cummings I'm gonna go judge a show right jump in so I don't know how many shows that I sat maybe I drove right that I was his ringman right or and drove with him and listened to the conversations I mean, think about this. I'm as 20 years old, 21, and multiple times Larry Shell calls me and says, hey, Clint Cummings, I'm going to Joe Harold's. You want to jump in the truck and go with me? You know, Joe Harold and Larry Shell are like best friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, 
Yeah, let's go. So, I mean, I've sat at the table. I've sat at the barn and just listened. I've been in the um, in the passenger seat, and you know, I mean, the, the cool, the, the neatest thing about the Kimbrocks and Larry Shells, and they're not the only ones in the world, but if you're a young person that that's passionate about things and you don't know it all and you just shut up and listen I mean the things that they would talk about and the things that I would learn and and, and I got to see them in motion you know what I mean and yeah I, I, I'm I am so lucky to and Weber's the same way I, you know I mean Larry really you know Clay didn't work at the swine unit but he I mean they had a mutual respect him and in uh, Brock but uh you know Clay Weber was my roommate I'm a little bit older than him but um I mean, he spent a time. He, he spent a lot of time with Larry Shell. Mm-hmm. I mean, Larry's Larry was so good to us in starting our judging careers. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I feel the same way about a lot of that. I don't know if it's just from being from California and, and so separated from him. But when you first go out there and meet him, it's like you're meeting NBA star. It's like the biggest deal in the world. And for them to invest just a, a, a little bit of time in you or, or remember your name, it just makes you feel so good. I don't know if everyone else in the world takes it for granted being close to those guys, but. It's it's just a cool experience to to get out there and they want to be your friend or they want your help and yeah it's and, on top of the world and and I try to tell I try to tell Nolan when he first went to OSU find Larry Shell and Kim Brock I don't think he did but now he's like Kim Brock's a very good friend of him and him and Larry you know and I I did it to my oldest boy go find Kim Brock and Larry Shell you know and he kind of found them you know but you know when you're young and you kind of think you know it all but I would tell those young people out there to identify you know those certain NBA stars and the livestock deal that they look up to and you know call them on the phone or text them but just show up to their place you know and you you don't have to buy nothing from them right just show up and you know you you could go through their use in the fall I mean I remember showing up to Larry Shell's hey can I go look at sheep and it's kind of like Clint I don't have any lambs and I'm like yeah but I just want to go look at sheep right let's go walk through the use you know and why'd you make this breeding decision who'd you breed her to you know what I mean so you you actually it's not about just selling a sheep or just buying a 60-pound, 60-day-old lamb, it's like showing up there and, like, I thought he had really nice ewes. And I liked Larry Shell and those ewes were different than our ewes, you know what I mean? But there were similarities about them that I gravitated to. And, uh, no, I'm, you know, like, here's another thing. When I was growing up, my dad was an ag teacher and we raised hogs. Ryan Wagey's dad was an ag teacher and he raised hogs. I hung out with Ryan Wagey at the Cow Palace and at King City Fair, I don't know how many years in a row, right? And we competed in each other. We we're friends, right? So it's like you look at the people that you evolved around and it's almost like you become a product of your environment, right? Totally. And it's amazing how young people that are passionate or they, there's a magnet, you know, it kind of... It draws totally. them together, and then all of a sudden they start having conversations. Totally. You know, I I don't know if I would have been somewhat successful in livestock judging that that uh, Kyle Schweppinger would have ever talked to me. But we used to have awesome conversations at 20, 21 years old. We were college roommates, you know what I mean? So sure. I was very lucky. Yeah. You mentioned Weber. Was, was he on your team at OSU? Or I judged in 92. Weber judged in 94. Oh, okay. Who else was, was in that group, maybe, that went to school with you out there that you got close so to? So, like, when, when I judged in 92, was uh-huh. on my team. So, Kyle Sweatfinger. Yeah. Um, Shane, Shane Deering. Fred Slater. Um, Darren Slater. Ha, huh, who else? Oh, Jamie Orth. Kevin Brimmer. Mm-hmm. Big cattle guy. Um, myself. Oh, Real good guy, and he was an in-house, and he'd have made the team on any other team in the country. Chad Kimball, mm-hmm. um, I think he's big in the Angus deal. Ranch Long, um, there's a guy named Bruce Gordon. Uh, he was from Canada. Hey, you know their little accent, you know. <laughs> uh, I haven't. I, I have done a very poor job of staying in touch with those guys, but. Uh, what a wonderful set of human beings, and we had a lot of fun. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was good. We, we should. I should do a better job of staying, staying in touch. It's funny how life evolves. Where it's almost like you have children, and your life evolves around what your children do. So, mm-hmm. 
my my best friends for two months could be the parents on the basketball team. You yeah, know what I mean? For sure. So, so back to that that question we asked before, what what were your goals at that point? I mean, you were completely wrapped up in the sheep deal, surrounded by your heroes. Basically, did you? maybe want to just pursue a career in sheep or, or something out there or, or what, what were your goals for the future you know after i got done livestock judging i didn't know what i wanted to do right yeah. i, I uh, had very poor grades um <laughs> so i didn't graduate from osu yeah i went home um for whatever reason and, and i loved Stillwater and i loved the people in oklahoma um i i probably definitely moved there now because you know it's conservative but uh, I was born in the Central Coast, and there's something about the Central Coast, and I was just going home. And uh, so if I'd have stayed at OSU, I probably would have got a lot more involved in the, I mean, we raise sheep, yeah. and we try to be competitive. But, um, you know, if you're outside of the Oakdale area in California, the mindset in terms of that club lamb deal, and, and we're trying, our mindset's trying to raise the best ones possible, but... I would say the Oakdale area with what John's done there is as close as what they do back there in yeah. the Midwest. It's a mecca. I mean, you can stay within 60 miles and visit 12 sheep farms that have exactly. pretty good stuff, you know. And you you probably don't need to go anywhere else. Yeah. You know? And there and there's good sheep other places. And and, and because because AI has evolved mm-hmm. and these guys have come out, um, you're starting to see more pockets of areas that are, you know, being very competitive. Yeah, dense with quality for sure. So you, you went home and, 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 you know, went back to, you know, where you grew up. What did you start doing? Did you find a job or keep raising sheep? So, I, so my dad had sheep, and then um, he was an ag teacher, and uh, probably my best friend today is Will John, and uh, he was in high school, and we, bu- we bought our first set of weather-type sheep mm-hmm. from Alan Cover, yeah. and he would bought them from Wintex Farms, little tight-hided, round little bat, you know what I mean? Yeah. We thought those were weather type sheep, right? Well, they were, they were weather type sheep and had no clue and was excited. And believe it or not, for those sheep to be that moderate, that heavy muscle, that tight hided, I mean, they were actually decent mamas. They'd give a nipple bit of milk or more, right? And they could they could pump them out. Um, I wouldn't say it was ideal, you know? It was a different body type than I was used to. Yeah. Length of hip, hip structure, correctness of skeleton, even even compared to what you saw at like shells and maybe at Oklahoma. Yeah, so shells shells I would say um, I thought his use looked more like the skeletal system we were looking at, at our use, mm-hmm. but you got to remember that walking tall wasn't too far off in that pedigree. Mm-hmm. Like most of those were like walking tall sons on old hill country use. So they would buy the or they would buy bucks from old hill country. They call it old hill country which was more of the weather type, yeah. you know, harder, you know, the muscle content, the tighter hides, this and that. But in Oklahoma at the time, they still wanted maybe a bigger kind of sheep, maybe. I don't know. But you, you talked to Joe Harold and Larry Shell, and they talked a lot about, you know, buying walking tall sons. So yeah. those ewes were kind of in between <coughs> the hardcore club lamb. Mm-hmm. And I would not say that Larry Shell was not a hardcore club lamb or Joe Harold, but those ewes were different. They're different size. Um, at the time, though, uh, and they, and they were raising good weathers, but probably cabinus was at the top. Yeah, you know. Sure. Well, what what year was and this? Joe, whatever Joe does, Joe will always be close to the top because he's yeah. a phenomenal breeder of whatever he does. Yeah. What year was it that you? What year did you leave Oklahoma and go back to California? I left in '94. '94. Okay. So the, oh. so they were they were slicking the club lambs like they were getting. Yeah, you know, we were slick. We were uh, we were um, slick shearing them. We were bracing them. Um, so I came home, got a part-time job at Delaire Swine Farm, um, went back to school, um, started coaching uh, a 4-H judging team at um, for San Francisco County 4-H because mm-hmm. I wanted to coach. Weber was the, you know, he did good in school. He did what you're supposed to and graduated yeah. and, and came back and coached at Cal Poly. And uh, so I, I took on a co- uh, 4-H um, county judging team. Mm-hmm. And was trying, was working with the local ag teachers, right, to be like their, um, what is it? Uh, start all their kids off, you know, yeah, get involved. Yeah, give them to know. me. You know, I'll start them, and then they'll go to you, you know. So uh, some ag teachers like that. Some ag teachers don't because, you know, they want to control, which themselves. is understandable, you know. So we had a ball. We actually, um, you know, I had Blaine Rodgers. Really? Um 
That's crazy. And uh, the wag, one of the wag, Matt Wagster, and uh, I was all excited about taking this team because we won state to Louisville, right? And I'd, I'd never been to Louisville in a 4-H contest, right? I thought I thought dressing up our kids like a senior college, like we would be like above the, 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 yeah, above the rest, out. right? Well, little did I know that that was a freshman junior college Level, contest, yeah. right? And so we had seventh and eighth graders. Huh. And we wound up 10th. And I remember sitting at that table and I remember John Nyswanger sitting there and uh, John Dimmick from Oregon, who had a phenomenal team that was the national champion FA judging team. And they show up to the 4-H deal and get like six or seven. I mean, like, this is a national champion FA judging team, and you show up to that deal. And both of them said, my goodness, there's no way. Because, like, Illinois has a state team. They don't have a county team. They have a state team. So they have a state contest, and they take the top five or six. And I'm hard-headed enough, you know, and competitive enough, and I'm like, Nah. I'm going to give it another shot. Yeah. We and we this. were national champions. It was the first time in the history of California. Oh, maybe not. I thought they, you know, it's funny how history goes. They, so we won a national championship in 96 mm-hmm. with the 4-H team. So, uh, but we had older kids. Mm-hmm. Were those the kids that you had for a few years at that point? And- yeah, a few years. And then we were more involved with, you know, they'd been in the uh, high school deal, mm-hmm. you know. Um, well, um, Patricia Winnell. Mm-hmm. You know, Patricia Murray, she was high individual Louisville. Really? In 1996. Um, Christy Baird, Julie Beaver, Cody Domagini, mm-hmm. you know, all have been gone and on to be highly successful people. But, yeah, they won that deal. That's awesome. And they were all girls. Really? Poor Cody, he was, they, they judged four, kept three, right? Mm-hmm. I think he was 12th and he didn't make the team. You know what I mean? That's funny. So, the fir- I know the first na- national champion FFA judging team, I think they were all girls, too. Weren't they? And Bassers' team? So that was them. So yeah. I, I, for some more reason, I thought they won the 4-H, too. Well, I think it's no, it's a different group of kids that are. Oh, okay. the, I think it was Nevada Union. Yeah, no, yeah. They, that they, was they probably did. Yeah. yeah. No, I know they won a national championship. Yeah. You know? Um, the Henderson, you know, yeah, yeah. which now Henderson. one is a Perry and one is a Callahan. Mm-hmm. And, and I forget the oldest ones. Uh, made, uh, I think she stayed Henderson, Karen. Yeah. Yeah. But No, it's uh, it was fun. Yeah. Small world. So I did that. And then... Um, Graduated from Poly, uh, was still in the it was still in the Club Lamb deal, you yeah. know, but um, you know didn't have any money, yeah. you know, trying to make it through college. Coached the judging team of Poly, and uh, I judged I coached the team in 99, 2000, 2001. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned you bought those used from Wintex. Um, what was your what was your goal with those? I mean, what, what were your moves buck wise? And you know, Leonard Bianchi was pretty much killing it out here so were you guys how did you make those work for you we had no i mean i think we went and bought a larry shell buck yeah an 18 son from joe mm-hmm. you know because uh, he bought uh 18's the cabinet buck right no uh there was an 18 joe harold all the it was old brother bob stuff uh-huh. and uh so we bought some bucks from from larry and i think uh becky kerr well, larry had bought one and sold it to us we didn't really know what we were doing you yeah. know what i mean we they were a different type of sheep, so we just thought, well, let's bring weather-type sheep to weather-type Looking back, I should have bred those sheep to my dad's. You know, he had basically downsized them, kept them as good black-faced sheep, but they weren't as tight-hided, yeah. and their muscle content wasn't as good. But their skeletal system in terms of neck setting, shoulder blade, hip structures, progressions and angles, you know, it was right. Yeah. I just... I threw those away because it's like, those aren't club lamps. Yeah. You know what I mean, I didn't have an appreciation for what they were. You know, like today, we're searching for that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that would have been important. So, you know, a lot of, lots of people in this in this whole industry, you know, have their own kind, have a specific one that they like, and whether that came from, you know, what they learned on, an, on a judging team or from their dad or, or, their, or their mentor. Throughout all this, what was your, what was your kind and, and how did you develop that and, and you know, maybe love a, a certain kind of sheep or, or think certain things are important in sheep? Or? Yeah, so looking back, I, you know, I, I didn't really realize when I was at OSU and the livestock judging and then being so caught up in the club lamb deal. Mm-hmm. I didn't really, really, really appreciate what my father taught us when growing up in terms of just the skeletal structure 
of how they're supposed to be built mm -hmm. and whether they're hamster suffix or whether you're talking about yearling bucks or yearling ewes or range rams or stud bucks or club lambs, there's a skeletal system. And my father would always talk about the skeletal system of how they're supposed to be built. And um, so what's interesting is, is so I have this deal in my mind, but yet we really weren't used to really club lamb type of sheet, you know, mm -hmm. the that, mu that muscle content, that groove top or that rack. Now, Leonard was closer to it, so we got to see more of it. Yeah. And then the cabinets deal. But I would say that, um, you know, and then, you know, I, you know, I can remember Ken Andrus and Jimmy Karras and you know, Maynard Potter and, and, and Jim Hegemar. I mean, I, I, I sat at those tables. I mean, yeah. I just sat there and listened. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, I probably went to as many commercial ram sales as we went to regular shows and sales mm -hmm. you know so looking back i think that grounded me you know because i you know so so i had that background but then you know you start livestock judging and livestock judging follows the trend of whatever the show ring's yeah. going to and so then all of a sudden these club lambs are evolving and so and then then larry show was nice enough to put me clays and my name in and our judging career kind of took off you know yeah what I mean? So as a judging coach, I mean, locally, you're always going to get calls to judge counties and, and yeah. shows around there. But you said Larry got you and Clay into into judging. When was the first, you know, state fair or national show you, you ever um, did? So um, when I was at Oklahoma State, I started judging shows. So Kim Brock, you know, I was judging a lot of locals and counties and jackpots, but not any districts. And then Larry um, started putting our name in in, in Ohio. Uh, I think he thought that maybe... The type of sheep that I liked fit better in the north and then Weber, you know, maybe south. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I did some jack. So, so like in 99, I showed up at the Belt Buckle Bonanza. Mm -hmm. 99, I got to Judge Louisville. Um, I think in 99, I did the Ohio State Fair. Mm -hmm. So, you know, from 94, 95... I was doing these different shows, and then all of a sudden, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I've never, I've never asked Larry, hey, but I've thanked him. You know what I mean? Like, thank you. So, probably in uh, 97, 98, but 99 is when, you know, what I mean. So I was born in 71, 90, so I'm 29 years old, and I'm in Judge in Louisville. Yeah. You know, it's like, and I mean, it's the cool. Belt Buckle Bonanza is a neat deal. You know what yeah. I mean? So. Sure. Do you still remember those first? few champions at say louisville and ohio oh yeah let's talk yeah, about i remember it. i remember the belt buckle um i remember getting done with the belt buckle and going to a gas station to fill up my rental car to get on the airplane and there's a guy that just chews on me because <laughs> i don't pick sheep the way they pick in texas right yeah. and probably um, said something along the lines you'll never judge in texas again or this is something we hear a lot when and I think he was so, I think I think he was so beyond saying that I'll never judge in Texas. He couldn't understand what I was looking at because I, I I picked him on the walk, right? Yeah. And and a lot of Texans liked him at that time in the brace, full of you know, I like muscle, mm -hmm. but I mean you didn't walk him, mm -hmm. jam that sucker, I'm a show. Him. Drag him out there and make him yeah. push, yeah. And so he just he was he just could not. I, I guess. I guess maybe he hadn't seen a lot of people judge. I mean, because I just pull him on the walk. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I remember. You know, I mean, I loved my grand at uh, uh, at uh, Belt Buckle, and then uh, Louisville's. They were really, really good. You know what I mean? Um, and then you know, in 2001, I do San Antonio, then Houston, then Fort Worth, Fort Worth. Mm -hmm. So I, I got to go to Texas majors four years in a row. Yeah. You know? I mean, like, I don't know if I deserve to do it. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. just like, wow, you know? Yeah. So when we look back at pictures and, and people's websites and those old winners, you know, back in, you know, 2000s and a little bit before, they were Suffolk sheep. You know, they were tighter and harder and, you know, maybe a little bit roached up and just tighter skeleton, I'd, I'd say. Um, that first time you went to San Antonio and judged, we hear about that a lot, you know, and it was it 20 years ago that you did that maybe? Yeah, 20 years ago, exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and a there's over 20 years ago. still some of those old guys that'll – you know, say like he changed them. You know, what was that like for you? I mean, just to, just to paint a picture, like we'll, we'll trying to hit some guys who aren't from Texas, 
you know, sometimes they'll show up and, and do stuff a little bit more Texas-y than they normally would, and, and it sounds like it's not what you did at all, and kind of just went with your gut. So, I think because I had a, I had a background in just production of sheep, and I had a father that just talked about the skeletal system, right, yeah. and how they're supposed to be made. So, whether I agreed or disagreed with with what Texas was doing, I. I didn't go to Texas to change them. I just, I just went to Texas because I was asked to do a job, mm-hmm. and this is what they brought in f- front of me. And I, I have a set of, I have in my mind a blueprint, and, and I have a set of progressions. So I don't worry about trends. I don't, I don't care if they're suffering. You know, today, and, and that's why I get called old school because when they, when I, when they first walk in, I don't care if they're hamped up or they're slick legged. They can still have bone and, and not have to have wool. But, you know, out on the corners, up on their toes, square in their build, level in their design, longer than they are tall, dimensional in their structure, neck settings are right, shoulder blades, progressions, angles, muscle, freshness, you know, and balance. When they walk in, I don't care what color they are or whether they fit the trend, there's a skeletal system, there's a blueprint when they walk in. And so when those sheep walked in at San Antonio, it seemed like more of the Hampshire-type sheep were... Fit that mold fit that mold for what was there now the better blue ones did good right but it seemed like those hampshire type sheep relative to the competition were fitting that mold of what i was looking for Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and here's the thing i don't think i changed texas and and a lot of sheep superintendents and managers need to realize you hired a guy to do your majors four years in a row Mm -hmm. And I remember listening to Dennis Luce's podcast. Dennis Luce made a comment and said, I may not agreed with what was winning at the time, but we're a competitive family and we want to win. Mm-hmm. So whether Texans agreed with me or not, I didn't change it. So they brought me in four years in a row. They right? had to make them like that. If, if they, they wanted, wanted to, to be like Dennis Luce and be competitive, you know, I am the guy at the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so Social I didn't Darwinism, try to change it. Those kind of it's, it's actually... Actually, they hired a guy with a certain mindset of what he liked, and it could be anybody, mm-hmm. but they, they hired that guy four years in a row. So automatically, and it, and it was in a time where maybe we questioned, why, are you, why do you have these things so hard? Like people say they were bad. The good ones were still structurally correct. The good ones still, fet, still fit my mold. Mm-hmm. It was that they sucked them on a little too much, and you know, they were kind of dry, you know what I mean? So the presentation um, might have just been changed? Yeah, I mean... Hell, if they just showed them as fat as we do now, they'd probably look a lot better. Yeah, <laughs> totally. But I, I just remember, I just hear people talk about it, and, and when a judge goes in there and, and does stuff quite a bit different, it, it'll, it'll, you know, kind of make some people frustrated and stuff. But every one of them said, man, you know, we kind of, we got, we got wailed on a little bit, but he was right. Like, it, he was correct. You know, the next year we were ready and... and yeah, and, and I would tell you, um, I took a class in college called Holistic Resource Management. And Rob Rutherford talked me into taking the class. And holistic resource management sounds like, you know, grazing animals, right? Mm-hmm. But you take that class and you read that book by Alan Savory. And, and I read it a lot. And I, 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 would, I would tell people, that'll change your life. And so I, I think with my dad's background in giving me a deal, taking that class, reading that book, it made sense to me of the type of animal I was picking. Does that make sense? Yeah. And when that guy in Texas is chewing on me, it's not that I, it wasn't that I was open-minded to not to listen, but I, if you looked at the big picture, I felt like I was right. right? Yeah. Like, I mean, and I still have, I mean, I've learned a lot since then, you know, because I have applied knowledge. I really didn't breed club lambs back then. Yeah. And so I, I think I'm way more qualified now than I was then, but, um, because I have applied knowledge, yeah. I do it. And, it and, and, and I'm telling you, to take the skeletal system that my dad taught me and to take the muscle content and, and, and the type of sheep they're at today and, and, and doing it with a, a regular feed bucket and everything, you know, I mean, it is, it is hard. And, and, and we stay as disciplined and as patient. I don't jump on a bandwagon. We know the, we're trying to find the whole story, you know, and... Mm-hmm. Expecting those weathers, twin sisters, to be productive females. 
I mean, it's not easy, you mm-hmm. know, because, you know, when I went to college, they told me the easiest thing to um, to breed was muscle. It's mm-hmm. the highly heritable trait, right? Totally. The hardest thing that I've ever done is is trying to take the skeletal system and lay muscle on it. Mm-hmm. Instead of jamming it, instead of doing it one generation, how do we how do we identify how we want muscle to lay on that animal? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And yet still keep it, you know, the correctness of handle the muscularity, the shape, the touch, or whatever, but yet still keep enough length, shape, volume, where it can have terminal production, you know? It's not easy. It's not. And, and, and that's why I think it's so important that people understand the skeletal system. Mm-hmm. You know, once you start jamming that muscle and, and shortening it up, that animal becomes round. Now, maturity and fat can help that, but, you know, Let's slow, I mean, in, in, in what we do, mm-hmm. we're slowly trying to lay it on there and keep it right and correct. Yeah. Not easy. And we'll always be behind, probably. Yeah. It seems like, you know, just where we're at in our industry today, just from a few of the shows I've already been to this year, like the top 10 of the class, it seems like those are, you know, they're the high quality ones, the highly presented ones that, that have, you know, huge backs and handle crazy. But there's just a plethora of build issues like like even the judges will point it out like yeah there wasn't really one i liked all day just they all had major build problems and you know front skeleton seems to have gone out the window and and maybe some hind leg and spine stuff like they don't they almost don't even look like show sheep anymore some places you go yeah i mean it's uh i find it interesting i do Mm -hmm. um you know you think about the frame sheep bred to make them tall they Mm -hmm. got the spider well we bred to make them thick so quick we got this Midget gene, gene, right? The DD. And I'm not so convinced that the DD is a simple recessive because it's interesting how it expresses itself. I don't don't know enough about it. Unfortunately, um, we have it in our our deal. We we got it through a bred U. Um, It's kind of good that we do. Um, I I think it represents a little bit what you're talking about. If you're constantly shooting for the great one, the outlier, you're going to get him. Yeah. The problem is, is you know, is, is when you take this phenomenal ram and this, you know, whatever you're doing, and you throw it in a petri dish, and you throw it up against the wall, and one sticks, right? That's the one you're talking about. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is the stuff that falls off on the ground, you know, the, the other 90 of them? Yeah. That's what you're talking about, build quality. And I don't have the answer. I can just tell you in what we do, neck settings, angles of shoulder blade, progression of width, I mean... We understand that if you're going to get more muscle, that the mid part of that shoulder, you know, is going to get, you know, we'll accept that. But the way that that neck setting and the, the angle to that blade and then the way muscle, not, not stacking muscle on top of a rack, but sitting on side of it. Mm-hmm. And then the progression of it coming back and then the length of the hind saddle, you know, um, I cut those pictures up and I look at a lot of things and you're right. I mean, the good ones are really good, but man, when you put a lot of these out on the walk, you're thinking, hmm. And as fat as we're showing them, it kind of makes them look worse. Yeah. You know what I mean? Planer and deeper and all that. And, and another thing, you, we talk, you talk about movement a lot. Oh, and, yeah. And a lot of judges try to talk about it too, but it seems like the way that a lot of these guys are, are reading movement is, are they going fast or slow? Not the one that maybe trots out and, and looks good and, and his yeah. spine and body still look cool no matter what speed. They're just wanting the one that freaking runs. Like, what, where, where do you stand on that and, and how do you evaluate movement? And factored into quality. So, I mean, you like him to float, right? Yeah, totally. It's kind of oh, like, it looks cool. It looks great. It's like you want that one to prance where he, you know, he he hits the ground hard, but he, like, floats on it, right? Yeah. But there still is a skeletal system you're looking for. You know what I mean? So, and, and, and when you wind up more muscle, I probably see more tighter moving sheep, like in the hog barn, you know? Because think about how much. Not much room. And then it. And, and, and I think it's going to get to a point where, like, I, w- I didn't watch Callis Judge, but I was listening to him. And I, I really appreciate listening to how he talked about structure and looseness and comfort and the skeleticism and angles. I mean, it is, it's going to get to a point where, just like in the cattle, how much bone and power and muscle do you need? Yeah. And then the really high quality, the best built ones, you know, are going to win. And, mm-hmm. and, and maybe one of these days, those, I mean, they're still looking for him. But the problem is, is, I mean... They're jamming a lot of muscle and a lot of dimension. We're making them a little bit more moderate. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, there are a lot of good things about the sheep, but they're going to change and make them better. Yeah. It, it just depends on 
you know, and the judges, I guess the judges are the ones that make the decision, yeah, right? Exactly. So, Supply and demand, what do they want? What do we need to make? Yeah, yeah. Totally. So as we kind of ran out the end of this interview, um, just kind of talk about where you're at now, what are you doing with your life, and, and you know, what do you do day to day, I guess, Clint? So um, I'm married to uh, Rosemary Cummings, who, Rosemary Farrell. I've got, uh, we've got two awesome boys, Connor and Kyler, and then our youngest daughter, Carly Rose, who's 10. We live in a rural grandy, California. We got a, a house and two acres, and we have another house and two acres behind us. Um, we run some sheep. Um, nine months out of the year, they're on grass in Paso Robles or Livermore. Um, I work for OH Crews Western Milling in the Sack Division. Um, I own the Western United States of High Noon Feeds. Really? So I'm very lucky that High Noon Feeds is on OH Crews' price list. Um, I, mean, I, live on a, I mean, I live right behind Pismo Beach. Must be rough. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. Uh, we don't have much acreage. Yeah. Um, we talk about moving, but it's like, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not tough enough. You know what I mean? Those guys in the Midwest and the Valley here, they're a lot tougher than I am. Um, we love sheep. I mean, I'm probably, I used to be super critical of my sheep. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I used to be super critical in, in judging. And now that I, I breed them and we take it serious, I have a lot greater appreciation for finding the good than the bad, mm -hmm. you know? And um, we're always probably going to be behind, but I I'm at a real happy place with our sheep. Um, we understand that, you know, if we're going to attract the high-dollar crowd, you probably got to breed to the name brands. Yeah. But, I mean, it, we're, it's good. My, my life is good. Not my, I made it to 50. I mean... Some of the stuff I've done in my past, I'm happy I made it to 50, right? Yeah. You know, my wife's the, the best thing that ever happened to me. Definitely. So it's been a while since you've judged, you know, Texas major, but I understand you're you're back on the list this year. You're doing our, our final show out there. Are you excited about that? Or oh, yeah. No, I, uh, I about fell out of my seat when uh, Chase called me to do that deal because uh, that's, uh, you know, I'm not saying that club lamb breeders aren't sheep guys, right? Yeah. But these are, these are guys that, truly make a living in the commercial sheep business. And I'm not saying there's not club lamb breeders that make a living, right? Yeah. But these are true sheepmen, true stockmen. And I will tell you uh, some of the best memories that I had was when uh, at Fort Worth, um, they would they would shut the door for an hour in the livestock office. And those were all, that was run by breeders mm -hmm. of the fine wool deal, you know. And, man, I mean, I was just like a little kid listening to all those guys and their stories and talking about sheep. And, and so, to, you know, a guy that lives basically on the beach, you know, from California, to be asked to go do Odessa, you know, of real sheep country and real sheep mm -hmm. men and hang out with real sheepmen. I mean, it's like, it's kind of intimidating. I, I asked him, like, why'd you call me? You know what I mean? I, I mean, I'll never forget the first time I judged finals, which is at San Antonio, right? And, you know, I have this certain build in my mind, like, I like him. And uh, the first 50 walk in, first class. And I didn't find a one of them that was, like, the way I liked them built, right? Which is, but if you really think about the breed, of what they do with that breed, yeah. it's amazing to take a fine wool and do what they've done. Yeah. So I had to adjust, you know what I mean? It was good. Um, so I am honored and excited to have the opportunity to come there. Mm -hmm. um, a little nerve-wracking, you know what I mean? Because uh, I don't, I don't, I don't judge white-faced sheep. We don't breed white-faced sheep, so yeah. And for I, those I of you that don't know, Odessa, it's it's basically a Texas major, but it's you know it's all about the heritage, you know, the important, the commercial breeds. I think the only breed of cattle that can show are, are Herefords. The only only breed of sheep that is there are the finals. And then I don't know about the hogs and if there's a specific grade there, but and they have a goat show, but it's pretty cool. Um, you know, no, there's not a bunch of crosses. You know, the grand champion lamb is a is a final sheep, and, and you usually never see that at one of them shows. Yeah, no, it's. Uh, I, I I I hope when I get done that um, I probably won't pull into a gas station. You know, I'll probably go out of town. <laughs> you know what I mean, a little yeah. farther away. But For I'm sure. excited because um, you've probably seen the movie Friday Night Lights. Yeah. And you heard of Booby Miles. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I played ball in 88, and I, we loved that movie. So uh, I, was telling, uh, I was telling Chase that we're going to fly in early, and we're going to go find Booby Miles, and, um, which we probably won't, you know. But maybe we could hit a Permian football. I, I, I don't know if Permian and Midland are playing at that time, you yeah. know. Um, Be cool. So it's all good. Hell yeah.
Well, thanks for sitting down and talking. We've been trying to get this done for a while, but thanks for oh. finally doing it. This is awesome. Thanks for having me. I, I wish I, I, I'm starting to think about other people that were important, but it's all good. Yeah. You got to catch a plane and get out of here. I, I, I'm honored that you'd, you'd ask the old guy to do this, so I appreciate it. Definitely. I really do. Thank you, sir. You made my day. That was fun. Hope you guys enjoyed that. It was uh, definitely a lot of fun to sit down with Clint and, and, and have that discussion. Um, Clint's just a really nice guy and, and, and definitely likes to talk about, you know, those those older stories. And, and once you we got him to kind of dive into those and, and those times, you know, it was really fun to just sit there and watch him just reminisce about about the days and, and what the what the past was like and, and what we can learn from that today. Um, but I definitely hope you guys enjoyed that. We will have another episode out next week, and that one will be with Bob May. Um, definitely one to be excited about, but um, we'll see you next time. Bye.